Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Tony, thank you, worship team. Thank you for everyone being here today. We have just a strong belief, conviction at Vertical Life Church that everyone matters to God. And you matter. And there's a reason why you came here today. It's not by chance that, that God brought you to this place today. And it is Father's Day. And, uh, and so we're, we're not going to do a normal Father's Day message because we're going to end our series on healing today. But I do want to start by talking to the fathers to kind of set up where we're going with this message today. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, the... Um, Figure David, the one we know, David, the guy that killed Goliath, the giant slayer, the king of Israel, the most famous king of all the Old Testament. David is now an old man, and he's on his deathbed. And his son Solomon is just a young man. He's getting ready to secede him on the throne. And so David gives him some parting words, some, some words to have him live to aspire to. And as I think of Scripture, especially when it comes to these types of holidays, it's easy to think about the Mother's Day passages, right? Because like Psalm 31 or Proverbs 31 comes in about the virtuous woman, and we know about the love of God, and, and, and we know about those things. But it's not as common to know what a godly man is supposed to be like. We, we hear a lot about uh, being a Christian. We hear a lot about uh, godly women. But what is a godly man? And I think we take this for granted sometimes because... Uh, what it means to be a true man because of the many stories that we read are centered around men in Scripture. But the Bible gives us the very definition of what a real man is, about what each of us need to aspire to. And David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us just in a couple short verses what a real man is. In our society, men are, we kind of like do this to each other, but there's kind of this unwritten law that in order to be a man, there's some things that you can and can't do. Like for, for instance, a man can't cry, right? Men aren't supposed to cry. That's why we tell kids when they're young, take it like a man, right? So there's some unwritten rules. You know, men are supposed to be tough. Men are supposed to be strong. They're supposed to be providers. Men aren't supposed to wear skinny jeans. This is just one of those things that is just these unwritten laws in, in culture and in the world. But as much as the world even now not only wants to define or redefine manhood, the world doesn't get to define what a man is because the world did not create men. God created man. God created woman, and the one who creates is the one who gets to define. And this is what God defines as a man of God, or a real man in life. In 1 Kings chapter 2, this is David writing, he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Here he's telling his son, a young son, he's probably maybe barely a teenager, 11, 12 years old, maybe as early as even 9, and he's telling his son, Prove you're a man. Prove it. Don't just say you're a man. Prove it. And here's how you prove you're a man. He says, keep the charge of the Lord your God. 
walk in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. And as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. What I love about this is that you see this theme over and over and over in Scripture. Every time God says, obey my commandments, on the other side of that is, so I can richly bless your life. God never tells us to do anything or to refrain from something to keep us from fun or enjoying life. He gives us the lanes we need to travel in so that he can so richly bless our lives, it can reflect what Jesus said was that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. This is God's will. It's heartbeat is to bless his children. But humanity has tried to redefine what a true man is. And here, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, prove it. Prove you're a man. How? How do I do this, Father? How do we do this? One, he says, keep the charge of the Lord your God. This means fulfill your duty. Fulfill your purpose. Who gives you your purpose as a man, as a woman? God does. Fulfill it. And as believers in Christ, as Christians in the church, we know what our purpose is. It's to fill the earth with the glory of the Lord. It's to preach the gospel to every creature. It's to not just live and preach, but also demonstrate that truth in our lives. So to be a man, we need to keep the charge of the Lord our God to fulfill our purpose. Then he also says, walk in his ways and keep his statutes. This means don't cross the boundaries he set up for life. This world wants to take us down a path that gets us to cross the boundaries God has set up so that the enemy can sow dysfunction into our lives. But God says if you're a real man, a true man, that you're going to walk in his ways. In Proverbs, the King Solomon says, Do not trust in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Keep his ways. Keep his statutes. David says, obey his commands. These are his expressed orders, his rules, his principles, and his guidelines to govern every area of life. And lastly, one of the most important things he mentions here that is often forgotten, he says, keep his testimonies. Keep his testimonies. Proclaim the works of the Lord and do not let what he has done be forgotten. And in regards to healing, this is one of the most important aspects of our Christian life that we can keep in mind as we look at the, where we're going in our message today. But as we're looking at biblical manhood, the true definition is this is the example, a man who walks in the ways of the Lord and does not depart from his ways. That is what a man is, and that is what we should aspire to. I want to key on two phases in the phrases in this passage as it regards to healing in the church because Jesus has also instructed the church. He's also given commands to the church. And if we want to be real men of God, real women of God, because men, even though God has given this definition, men are set in the family as the head of the home. That doesn't mean dictator. That means example. In Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus, Paul says that men are to love their wives like Christ loved the church, which means they are to demonstrate by their life the way God lived his. To be the head doesn't mean to be in charge, even though there's responsibility there. It means to demonstrate, to live sacrificially so that your wife will follow the pattern of your life. It's what it means. So we are heads. We are the, the example in our home. We're the pastors in our home. 
And we are to lead our families in the way to follow the Lord by demonstrating with not just what we say, but also what we do. And Jesus has given commands to the church. So if we want to be men of God, we need to obey his commands. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, here's what Jesus commands the church. Read this with me. It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with, cast out, give as freely as you have received. This is not a suggestion. This is an instruction, a commandment from the Lord. So if we want to be people of God and keep his commandments, here is a command. Part of biblical manhood and womanhood and spiritual maturity is obeying the commands of God and healing is a command. And since it's a command, we also know it's his will. If he is commanding us to do this, we also know God wants this. It's his will to be done in the earth. Secondly, David says to keep his testimonies, to tell what he has done. This is so important as it plays into a vital role in healing. Real quickly, I want to kind of recap what we've looked at in this series, especially for those of you that haven't made all the weeks in this series. But there are some reasons why people don't get healed. If, if uh, you start walking this journey and you know it's God's will to heal, but there are times people don't get healed. And so there are at least six reasons why. We're just going to cover these briefly. Number one, the curse of death still remains and everyone is appointed one day to die. Death is coming for everyone. We, we're not guaranteed any length of time on the earth. Number two, there's a lack of authority for a lack of identity in Jesus Christ. It's because you really don't have a relationship with Jesus. You ask and ask and ask, use his name, but there's no authority behind what you're asking for. Number three, it's a lack of faith in the one praying for the miracle because they give up before the miracle happens. They don't have an enduring faith. Number four, the one being prayed for is actually rejecting Jesus, therefore rejecting the benefits of knowing the Lord, such as healing. Number five is spiritual oppression. The cause that we're, the thing we're praying for, we're not dealing with the cause, we're merely dealing with symptoms. And so the illness goes unhealed or the issue goes unhealed. Jesus talked to the Pharisees, the religious leaders in his day, and he rebuked them. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look great on the outside, but at the inside you're still filled with dead man's bones. He says, you, you focus on cleaning the outside of your cups, but on the inside of your cup is still filthiness. And often, this is what we do in Christianity and in church life. We spend so much time looking good on the outside, but on the inside we neglect what is there, what's going on. And so the enemy is allowed to continue his work, bringing what defiles, rather than leading us to freedom, which Jesus came to bring us into. So we need to be people that clean the inside and the outside. And before you clean the outside, you need to clean the inside. Number six, they go unhealed because the one who is sick is still in agreement with the oppression that's causing them to be ill. There are things in our lives that we do. The Bible calls sin. It's missing the mark. It's anything outside the nature and character of God. So when we commit sin or we allow sin to remain in our lives, we allow an open door for the enemy to bring in dysfunction and struggle, sickness, illness, and oppression, and the like. So in order to heal the sickness, the one in agreement needs to come out of agreement. And the way we do this is first, repent of sin. You change your mind. You turn away. You renounce that sin in Jesus' name. You ask the Lord's forgiveness and apply the blood to that area of your life. And you command that thing to go in the name of Jesus. And you're set free. These are common reasons why some 
go unhealed and we may press up against these. And I, I labeled that not to dissuade you from praying, but to prepare you for when you pray for someone and they don't get healed. Just because they're not healed doesn't mean that's not God's will. There might be some stuff going on that you need to pray through. It's not our cue to quit, but it's our cue to press in for God's will to be done in their lives. So today, as we've gone through this journey, and this has been a, a, an exciting study for me. Have you enjoyed this series, those of you that have been on the journey? Learning about healing and God's will. Today, I want to give you a method or a formula that you can use in your personal life as you minister to other people to begin praying for healing. In your worship guide, you should have received a card that looks a little bit like this. It's a little uh, card to help you remember the things that we're going to be talking about today to, uh, as you begin stepping out in faith and trusting Christ to do powerful work in your life. But before we get into the model, I want to really dispel two falsehoods about healing that are commonplace in the body of Christ. They come from different ways of belief and thinking. There, there's this theological belief system called cessationism, which means the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased for the modern church. Many churches believe this way. They believe that God did miracles through the apostles. He's not doing miracles through Christians today. It's just kind of the way they believe. And they, they have biblical reasons of, of believing that. And out of that belief comes a falsehood scripturally. And the first falsehood, number one, is that every person Jesus prayed for was healed instantly. They will use this as an argument. They'll say, well, the reason why we know the gift of healing is not for today is because when Jesus healed, everyone was healed instantly. And so all this stuff you see about people having to pray again and, and other stuff, that, that shows you it's not really real. It's, it's made up or it's in their minds. But I'm going to show you biblically how not even Jesus always healed instantaneously. In Luke chapter 8, verses 28 through 35, this is a story Jesus just walked on water. He and his disciples got to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They enter into this area where this man was known to be possessed by many spirits. And people were terrified of him. Here's what the story says. As Jesus, as he soon saw Jesus, Jesus gets out of the boat, walks into the land. As soon as this man, possessed of devil, saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirits to come out of him. But the spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put into chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. And the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man that had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Can you imagine being a person living in that town, like knowing... It's like that, that one house in your neighborhood, you know, we don't go to that house. You know, like you, you teach the kids, yeah, you can, you can go down this far, but we don't go to that house because some strange stuff's going on up in there, you know. It's just one of those things. And imagine 
knowing what this guy was doing, all this crazy stuff going on, and then just seeing him perfectly sane, hanging out with this group of people. That would freak you out. You'd be like, what? Like, do you know who this guy is? Do you know what's going on here? But God delivered him from this spiritual oppression. But I want you to see what actually happened because as they got out of the boat, they're on the land, the man comes down, has a conversation with Jesus. Look at verse 29 again and pay attention to what the scripture is saying. The reason why the man shrieked, fell down at Jesus' feet and says, have you come here to torture me? Look what it says. He says, for Jesus had what? Already commanded the evil spirits to come out of him. Did the spirits come out when Jesus commanded? No. They didn't come out. How do we know? Because they're still talking through the guy, right? They're still having a conversation. So they were able to resist even Jesus, but to a point. You can see later that they asked Jesus' permission to go into the pigs. They knew his authority. They knew who he was. But they resisted him to a point. But at the end of the day, Jesus is still King of kings and Lord of lords. And nothing, nothing can overcome our great Savior. So what that shows us is that if the spirit realm can resist Jesus, you better believe they will try to resist you. So if there is a spiritual component going on and something doesn't happen right away, that doesn't mean give up. You know, the enemy will try to convince you you have no power, you have no authority. They'll try to strike fear into your heart, like they're going to come after you and your family if you keep proceeding. They're going to do all sorts of stuff to keep you from helping the, the person you're ministering to be delivered and be healed. That's why we need to remember Luke 10, 19, and 20. Jesus said, I have given you all authority over the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall harm you. This is one of the reasons why not just reading the Bible, but knowing Scripture is so vital. Jesus said, man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not by bread alone, but by every word. We need to not just read the Bible, but know it. We need to ingest it. It needs to be life and breath because the Scripture is the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will set you free. Come on, somebody say, I'm free. free. Come on now. You'll be set free. Nothing by any means will harm you. So they may resist you, but at the end of the day, through the blood of Christ and the power of Jesus' name, you are triumphant and you are always victorious. Amen? Amen. Mark chapter 8, verses 23 to 26. Here's another passage of Scripture, very famous Scripture, where Jesus encounters a blind man. In verse 22, it says, When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. They've seen Jesus do this so many times. The man with leprosy, you know, the crippled people, all, all these people Jesus healed. So they're expecting Jesus to do the same thing. Verse 23, it says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. So then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. So the first thing is Jesus spits on this guy's face. Who wants that ministry? Right, you know, bring your blind. We're going to get... Get you through the loogie line, you know, or just like, 
you know, it's, it's crazy. I just, when you read it and you stop and think about what's actually happening, it's kind of like, oh, come on, you couldn't have a better idea than that? I mean, but um, he's the Lord and he knows what he's doing. He spits on his face. Is the man instantly healed? Come on, church, is he? No, his eyes are blurry. So what's Jesus do again? He puts his hands on him again, and he petitions the Father, commanding the blindness to go, and then the man is able to see. If Jesus, who is God in flesh, with perfect faith, completely filled with the Spirit, with a manifold presence of the Father and the Spirit of the whole God had resided in him in fullness, prayed at least twice for a blind man, rebuked at least twice for a demon-possessed man before they were healed, then I have at least seven tries. I mean, think about it. If God, it took him more than once to do these particular accounts, then why do I think it should happen every time for me? You see, it is God's will that what is done on earth reflects how it's done in heaven. If Jesus were in heaven, you better believe one word, and it was so. But this isn't heaven. This is earth, the dominion of man. God has given authority of the earth to man, and we've handed it to the enemy. So things don't happen on earth the way they should happen. But one day they will when our God sits on the throne. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Over and over and over again. He's urging the church don't quit. Don't give up. Press in. Keep going. Believe in your heart. God's promises are true. This shift has to happen in your life where you believe anything else other than Scripture is false. If it does not align with Scripture, if it contradicts the Word of God, it is a lie from the enemy. I don't care how close it is. That the Bible is true. The Word of God is true. And when that shift happens in your life, that you read a scripture and you see this is a promise of God, this is true, my experience, my reality, everything else is false, then your faith can come alive and God can begin to work in powerful ways. If God said, go and heal, then you can heal. Some have said Jesus didn't heal to show us that he could do it. He healed to show us we could do it. We already know God's capable of miracles. Just look at the Red Sea. He didn't have to come and do miracles to prove himself. He revealed himself. But he demonstrated how he wanted us to live through the life that he lived while he was on earth. Number two kind of ties into the first falsehood. The second falsehood is that if nothing happens, then it's just God's will. If you pray and nothing happens, then that's just what God's will was for this situation, this point but in mark chapter 9 verse 29 in a story we've read in the series about a time where the disciples couldn't heal a young boy but jesus healed the young boy they came and asked jesus why couldn't we do it and jesus replied in verse 29 of mark 9 says this kind of spirit could only be cast out by prayer and some will say prayer and fasting there are things you will encounter in your life especially as you're walking in the ministry of healing or inner healing and deliverance that is going to require a season of fasting and prayer. Sometimes a day, sometimes multiple days, sometimes months, sometimes years. There is warfare happening at every level, and there are times when it is a call of God on the prayer or the hearts of the people to enter into a time of fasting and prayer. So when healing doesn't come, it's not your sign to give up. It's your sign to press in. 
and continue to press in until the breakthrough happens or God's divine hand is made evident. If a person you're praying for ends up passing away and God doesn't raise them from the dead, then we trust in his sovereign plan, as Isaiah 57 says, that good people pass away, some before their time, but God was protecting them from evil to come. If God doesn't fulfill a promise, it's not because he's unfaithful, it's because he has a plan, and what we are pushing for is not in line with his plan. But he's still faithful and he's still good. But even though there are things we encounter where healing doesn't happen, healing happens more than you can realize. And it, it's, it's happening to me in my life more and more and more and more and more. And I've got some testimonies to share. We've got some things to share today. So most often as we intercede, we need to understand we're waging war in heaven. And we are being resisted by the enemy kingdom. And we should continue to fast and pray until breakthrough comes. So the Holy Spirit, who God has given us when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He gives us gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of grace. We know the revelation, words of knowledge, the discerning of spirits that aid in guiding us to know how to pray. There, there have been times where I have prayed for somebody and nothing happened. I would go back to my house a couple of days. I'd be fasting in prayer, and I'd get a vision or a revelation, and I would trust that was from God. I would go back to that person, pray based on what was revealed, and see the miracle happen. So again, there are ways God wants us to press in. And this is why I encourage you, don't get stuck on this model that I'm going to show you, because the miracle is not tied to the model. It's tied to the man, Christ the Lord. Anytime you get married to a model, you develop a religion, and religion is destructive. It's about walking with the Spirit. And so this is just something to get you started. And as you grow in your relationship with God, I trust that He's going to grow you into the, the way He wants you to proceed in your own self. But we can't do this haphazardly. This isn't just a nonchalant, oh, well, I'll just kind of do this. No, we are to press in to seek the Lord. Don't be discouraged, beloved, but trust in the Lord, trust in His promises. So here is the process that I use when I pray for physical healing. Inner healing, the spiritual issues, deliverance, revolving um, spiritual oppression uh, is different, but this is physical healing, um, and any variation of this process can occur. So if I'm dealing with somebody, it doesn't necessarily go in this order, but these components usually take place. So the first I want to talk about is number one when you're praying for healing the first thing you need to do or should do is ask questions this is important as you're talking with somebody you're already having a conversation so begin to ask questions find out what's wrong what they're struggling with if God puts an impression on your heart before the conversation here's where you test your word of knowledge um, just the other day or actually yesterday I was at uh, um, Huckleberry Junction with the Moyers and little Lana was having a birthday party and uh, the waitress walked by, and in my heart, I heard she was experiencing back pain. And so when she came over, I began to talk with her. I started asking her questions. I asked her, you know, this is going to sound kind of weird. I know I'm, I'm a little weird. I'm not, I, I have what some people call dissocial skills. I'm kind of struggling a little bit. But I said, I just, when you walked by, I, I just got this impression on my heart that you're experiencing back pain. Do you have back pain? She's like, yeah, my back's killing me. I was actually born with a broken back, and my spine's out of place, and it, and it hurts all the time. And so I asked her, I was like, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, how bad does your back feel? 1 being great, 10 being worst pain possible. She's like, about a 7. 
I was like, okay, well, I'm a believer in Jesus, and, and God tells me these things because he wants to touch people's lives, show his love and his goodness. I believe God wants to heal you. Would you be okay if I prayed for healing? And she's like, yeah, great, as long as, long as I don't get in trouble because she was, like, busy running around. So I said, okay, let's pray. And so I just prayed for her quickly in Jesus' name, and that seven went down to a two like this. And I was like, check it. Make sure your back's fine. Make sure. And she's like, well, I feel a little, a little bit. I was like, well, let me pray one more time. So I prayed one more time, and it was completely gone. And she just, like, was zooming around the, the restaurant. It was awesome. It was amazing. You know, but this is why you ask questions. You ask questions. You try to uh, you gauge where they're at. Asking that, 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 that scale, you know, where are you at on a 1 to 10 is important. It's not necessary, but it's important because later there's a testing phase where this comes into play. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But it's important that you ask questions and see where they're at. And number two... Begin to sense what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And he is not a silent God. Right? Jesus is called the Word for a reason. He's always talking. Right? The Spirit's always communicating. And he communicates in ways that we don't necessarily pay attention to. Thoughts, feelings, visions, pictures in the mind, ideas, things that we wouldn't have thought of before. There's different languages of God. And as we grow in the Lord, we learn these languages on how God is communicating. And there are, there are times where I'll be talking with somebody and I'll just feel in my gut, God is going to do something. I may not know what it is, but there's a divine appointment that's happening right now. And it's my job to key into that. Other times I'll know exactly what it is because the Spirit put the image in my mind, gave me uh, some type of revelation, something to the effect before or during the conversation. Often, when I know God's getting ready to heal somebody, I'll get filled with so much joy. Like, like I'm just like, like a little kid getting ready to open a Christmas present. I'm like, all right, it's getting ready to happen. Okay, here we go. All right, it's gonna, we're going to do this, right? It's just like it was yesterday. Just, you just get filled with that joy. And sometimes, when God is touching people, I'm able to discern and feel the very thing that they're feeling. And so I'll ask them, you feeling something right now? They're like, oh yeah, I'm feeling something right now, you know, and it's just powerful. It's amazing to be a part of those moments. So discern the Holy Spirit. He might also key you into some other spiritual things that are happening. To, you know, the, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the discerning of spirits. So is this a spirit of addiction you're dealing with? Is this a spirit of pain? Is this a spirit of blindness? What's going on that you're dealing with? So it's important we discern the Holy Spirit. Number three ties into what we, we began talking about is testimony. I cannot stress this enough. Testimony, test, somebody shout testimony. 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 I, I can't, that's why we have a microphone down here for testimonies to, for each week for you to share what God is doing. And here's, here's why. Revelation 19.10. John in the book of Revelation, he's depicting this vision that God's given him. He's talking to this angel, and he falls down, and he says, I fell down at his feet to worship him, meaning this angel. But the angel said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Here's a side note. If you encounter an angel, and you feel led to worship, and they accept your worship, not redirect you to Jesus, wrong angel. It's not the kind of angel you want to be talking to. The angels of heaven point to Jesus. The angels of the devil point to themselves or point to the enemy, okay? But here he's having this encounter, and he says, I am one of your fellow brothers who holds the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the, read this with me, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Well, what is prophecy? Prophecy is declaring things that are not as though they are. It's proclaiming the truth of God, the word of God, things that aren't even in existence yet, into existence, releasing the power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So God puts a word on your heart. You release it. You release that power, and that is released into the world to bring the change in the, the plans and purposes of God into the world. You see this in Ezekiel where God said, prophesy to the bones that they may come alive again. So he says, dry bones live, and the bones came alive. Something that was not as though they are, and the reality met the purposes of God. This is prophecy, calling into existence the promises and will of God. And the essence of every prophecy, speaking the future into existence, the essence of every prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It is the fulfillment of every promise of God, the purposes and will of God. So what is the testimony of Jesus? It's declaring who he is and what he did and what he can do. Who he is, he is king of kings and he is lord of lords. What did he do? He died on the cross for your sin. He broke the power of sin and death. He rose again to victory so that you could have new life. And what can he do? He can heal your body. He can heal your mind. He can heal your broken heart. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he did it in the past, he's doing it right now. He's going to do it again in the future. This is why testimony is so important. Because somebody might be coming in with a lack of faith. And by testifying what God has done in your life, what you've seen and what you've heard as a witness of Christ, unlocks the faith in their heart to believe. Ask, number, number four, ask to pray. Your testimony is contagious. You give your testimony, it becomes contagious. At that moment, ask them, can I pray for you? You mind if I lay my hands on you and pray? And pray for that affected area. Keep in mind, we live in a day in a culture where hand placement is a thing. So uh, guys, you don't, you don't want to be placing your hands in the wrong area on a female. Females, you don't want to be placing in the wrong awkward spot on a male. You want to keep that in mind. You know, oftentimes when someone has a, a, a need or is having pain in their body and it's kind of in an awkward position, you just, shoulder's good enough. God's not restrained to, you know, placement. If you can, put your arm, hand on the shoulder, elbow, knee, you know, do that. But if it's an awkward position, you don't have to, you know, put your hands there. You're good to go. Um, sometimes you can put your hand on top of their hand. You just keep things uh, kosher because the last thing you want to do is bring a distraction into the moment. You don't, you don't want them to be so focused on where you got your hand that they can't you know, focus on what God is doing in their life. So the hand placement's important. But ask them to pray. And when you begin praying, in your prayer, think about the model of Christ, the prayer of Jesus. Begin with declaring who God is. God, your name is holy. There is none like you. God, you are good. God, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. We worship your name today for what you're about to do in this moment, proclaiming and clinging to his promises. Ask for healing for that area. And say, God, this person's experiencing trouble in their shoulder, trouble in their elbow, trouble in their knee. Ask for healing in Jesus' name. And then in the authority Jesus has given you, command that to be healed in the name of Jesus. I command that need to be healed. I command that area to be healed in the name of Jesus. 
Now, while you're praying, again, be aware of the thoughts and images that the Holy Spirit brings into your mind. Your emotions, the way you're feeling, that can clue you into what is happening in the Spirit. During this time, manifestations of healing often should and do occur. Sometimes you experience them. Sometimes only the person being healed experiences them. But often when I'm praying for healing, sometimes I'll get chills all the way up and down my body. And it's not like the bad chills that catch you off guard. It's like, this is amazing. This is like the best feeling. You're filled with joy and happiness. You know, the Spirit of God is right here in the moment. Sometimes heat can be released from the hands. You know, the Holy Spirit's connected with fire. Sometimes you, you get that heat. Oftentimes when I'm praying for somebody, you'll feel the, the muscle, the infirmity twitch, muscles move, you know, things go back into place. I remember we prayed for Stephanie Callahan for her bulging discs at a prayer meeting or in a life group, and we were praying. I, I felt those discs sink back into her back. I mean, things happen all of the time. We are praying for um, her son's feet because he had one foot shorter than the other, had hip issues, and we were just praying, and we watched that foot grow out to where they matched completely. I mean, manifestations happen. That's why through this series, I've, in, I've encouraged you, don't just tell somebody you're healed if they've not been healed. Because if God's healing them, it'll be evident. There'll be a manifestation at some point. So um, it's something to watch out for. Command anything that comes to your mind. We talked in this series about the way spirits operate. Spirits can often be identified by what is actually affecting the body. Again, if it's blindness, it could be a spirit of blindness. If it's deafness, a spirit of deafness. Command anything connected to the spiritual oppression in their life to go in Jesus' name. Take authority over it. Because often, once that's dealt with, then the healing can come. And lastly, number five, in this kind of process, is to test the healing. It's important we don't just think we're healed. That we don't, okay, I've been prayed for, I'm healed in Jesus' name. It's important that we test the healing, that we trust and act on it. Remember, faith is a two-sided coin. Faith not, is just not belief, it's also action. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when you test the healing, you're enabling the person to put their belief into action. And I'll show you this in Scripture. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Peter and John... Go to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money, but Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand, helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So as we, we know this story, it's a very, very popular, very famous passage of Scripture. The question is, is when were the man's feet healed? Were they healed when Peter uttered the words or were they healed during a different part of the process? Look again at verse 7. It says, then Peter did what? What did Peter do? 
He took the lame man by the hand and then helped him up. And as he helped him up, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed. So Peter spoke the word, he commanded, but it wasn't until the man's faith was put into action that they began to test the healing, that the healing was released. So this is why the testing phase is important, because when you have them test their healing, like Christ did with the blind man, can you see? Like Peter who did with this lame man, let's get up. You're giving them the opportunity to activate their faith, allowing healing to be released, as well as you are then able to gauge if they had a permanent healing, a complete healing, or partial healing, and if you need to pray again. You can repeat the prayer phase and the test phase until the person is completely healed, and often this is the case. So often I'll pray, like I said with the, the waitress, her prayer was, or her pain was diminished, but it wasn't completely gone. And I'm the kind of person that doesn't like to leave people half healed. I want to pray until it's completely gone. So I'll continue to pray and go through that process until the person's fully restored or I have a release from the Spirit saying, okay, that's enough. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take care of itself. So the testing phase is vitally important. Number six, and I've kind of blended my six and seven together with you and I've given you an additional one but number six is the invitation phase I am thoroughly convinced that when a person is touched by God it is the prime time to lead them to Jesus Christ as Savior that I mean how can you sit there and have that demonstration of love and power and not say I want that it's been very rare that I've had people walk away and say I'm not ready this is a time when God touches somebody for you to say do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you want to know this God that just touched your life? You know, if they say no, then you can lead them in a simple prayer, repenting of their sins, giving their life to Jesus, trusting in the death and resurrection of Christ, and proclaiming with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's the elements of a sinner's prayer that we see in Scripture. God, I'm turning away from this life, and I'm giving my life to you. You're Lord, now and forever. Thank you for the cross. Something very simple. This is the most prime time, and I believe if our church gets a hold of this, these, you want to talk about filling these seats. We may have to build a bigger building before we even get into it. This is an amazing opportunity for us as a body of Christ. Number seven on the screen says, encourage them to connect to a local church. This is part of the invitation phase. If they accept Jesus as their Savior, we're not just supposed to leave them there. Our goal as Christians is to disciple believers, to teach them to do all that has been commanded of us. And so we need to get them connected. If they're already attending a church, encourage them to get connected and rooted there, to be faithful, to grow. If they don't have a church, invite them to come here. We'd love for them to be part of our Vertical Life family and, and to continue to join this journey together. Number seven on your card is the additional one I have for you. It's testify. Why? Because testimony is the spirit of prophecy. It encourages faith. So if you have an encounter, something happens, then when we have testimony time in our service, you better come up and share because that encourages all us all to continue to go after the things of God. Now, this uh, last week on our prayer night, I alluded to an encounter that I had uh, a week or so ago, and I, I wanted to share it today. And it kind of puts all of this into kind of the, the picture. You can see how it all works together and how you don't have to get everything right for God to move. 
And this is important because many of us will be like, well, until I know exactly how to do this, I'm just not going to. No, just go for it. God, God's gracious. He's, he's good. He's a good daddy. So we've been doing a lot of remodeling on our house, and it finally came time for the dump trailer to be picked up. We filled it to the brim, and, and, uh, and the guy came to pick up the dump trailer. And I wasn't even planning on this or preparing for it. I was just like, okay, i got to write a check, give him some more money, you know, all this stuff. But he came out, and when I saw him, I heard in my heart, his name is Jeff, and he likes short socks. Now, that is a very awkward and strange thought to have. So in my mind, I think either that was God or I need medication. I don't, you know, I just, whatever, you know. But a lot of my words of knowledge and revelation have, have gone that way. Just these weird off-the-wall things that turn out to be true. So I'm talking myself into, okay, how do I ask this? Because this is weird. It's even weird for me. How do I ask him this question? So finally he gives me my receipt, and I look at the receipt, and he signed his name on the receipt, and his name started with a J. I couldn't read the rest of his name, but it started with a J. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's my confirmation that this is Jeff, and he likes short socks, and God's going to do something with this information. So I said, is your name Jeff? And he's like, no, it's James. I'm like, ah, no. You know, I've probably made this up. It's like, but I was still feeling like there was something there. And I'm like, started thinking in my mind, okay, what, what are you doing, God? And I started got a picture of, his, of maybe his knee not, not feeling well or being hurt. And I was like, does your knee hurt? You know, do you have trouble with your knee? It's like, no. And I was like, man, two for two. I mean, what, what's up? And I was like, well, I just, I'm a believer in Christ. I believe God speaks to me. I just feel like God's wanting to, you know, do something here in this moment. And I was you know, thinking maybe you had a busted knee, and I, I don't know what it is, but here's where I'm at. And he's like, well, you know, my wrist hurts really bad. It's like I was helping my mom change a, a window in her house, and I was trying to put the screen in, but she doesn't have a latch for a window, and the window slipped out of my hand and landed on my wrist, and I think I broke it. It's been killing me for two weeks, and, and I've been hesitant to go to the doctor because of all this COVID-19 stuff, but I think I'm going to go because it just has not stopped killing me. And I'm like, yes, God, here it is. Here's what you're going to do. And, uh, and so I, I, I asked him, well, do you have a relationship with God? Do you, do you know the Lord? And he's like, yeah, I believe in God. And, you know, I dated this girl one time, and I went to church with her. And I'm like, that's not a relationship with God, dude. I mean, it's a little different. So I, I kind of graciously explained. I was like, no, has there, like, been a time in your life where you've given your life to Jesus? And he's like, yeah, I think I have. And I was like, okay, I'm not getting anywhere with that, but let, let's go back to the healing. And so I just said, you know, this past Sunday, there was a man who was in a bad car accident. And it's like, well, I was in a car accident, too. And I was like, so you're probably thinking some things about your life right now, right? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, this guy was in a car accident, flipped the car three times, and walked away from it. But he was banged up. He had to be wheeled into the auditorium in a wheelchair. And uh, was really sore, was on medication, and just, you know, he could stand but could barely walk without being in a lot of pain. And he came forward, and we prayed for him, and he got out of that wheelchair and I checked in with his wife this week, and he has not even taken a pain pill since we prayed for him. God healed him like that. And many of you were there. You saw it. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. His eyes were like, really? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I've never seen that. I was like, I didn't either until last Sunday, you know. I was like, but God is good. I think he's going to heal your wrist. Can I pray? And he, he's like, yeah, you can pray. And so here I am, like, I think still in my, my uh, pajamas, you know, with a hat on. You know, I put my hands on him, and I pray in the name of Jesus. And as I'm praying, I'm just 
flooded with joy. Like, I just know it's happening as I'm praying. And I look at him, and his eyes are closed, but he's smiling. And I just know he's feeling something, too. And when I get done praying, I'm like, okay, check your wrist. And he's like, what'd you do? You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. It's like, thank you so much. It's like, I didn't do it. It was Jesus. All I did was pray. God does the work. He does the miracle. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And I, and I just said, hey, man, I'm a pastor, and I just have to nail this down. I'd hate for you to leave without knowing this just for my own personal sake. Has there ever been a time in your life where you said, God, I forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. I want to live for you. And he said, you know what? No. And I said, would you like to do that? And he's like, yeah, I would. And right there, I laid my hands on him. And I began to pray and lead him in the sinner's prayer. He accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he's crying from his eyes. When he's done, he said, oh, I needed that today. I needed that. This, beloved, is why I live. It's what God created me for. And if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is past. All have become new. It's what you've been created for. To be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Christ is a miraculous ministry. But it's not about the power. It's about his love on display in the hearts of his people. So now we come to the time in the service where faith meets life. Ask yourself, how badly do you want to experience the more of God? How badly? Are you willing to cut ties with the world for what God wants to do in your life? Are you willing to overcome fear? Are you willing to say, God, I don't care how embarrassed I get. It's all for your glory. My life is yours. Do with it as you will. How passionate are you to be filled with the Spirit so that you can receive the power to be his witness? Again, it's not about how perfect you are. It's about how perfect he is and how his love can be demonstrated through your life. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, Paul's writing to the church, and here's what he tells every believer, and he's telling you and I today, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Earnestly desire does not mean, huh, I'll get around to it one day. It's no, go after it. You don't understand what you're missing. Go after it. Pursue it. Don't quit. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, it says, Let your love be the highest goal, but you should also desire the special gifts, the abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Church, do you have these gifts? If not, do you want them? And how badly? How badly are you pursuing God? Do you desire to be a witness for Jesus? Do you desire to be everything God's created you to be? In just a moment, when we bow for prayer, we're going to have an altar call like we do every week. And I'm going to invite those who want to walk in this gift to come forward to receive prayer, a prayer of impartation to begin activating you in this ministry. This is a biblical method of unlocking the gifts of the Spirit in other people. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, Paul tells the church of Rome, he says, I long to see you that I may what? impart unto you some spiritual gift. Paul wanted to go so that he could lay hands on the people 
to impart spiritual gifts. Why? So that they could be established. What are you missing from your spiritual life? Why does church attendance and life group Bible study just not cut it for the believer? It's because there's a whole life God intends for you to live that you're missing if that's all you have. There's a life, day-to-day, walking in the Spirit, walking in His power, demonstrating through His love and His power what God wants to do in the life of the people living in the kingdom. So to be established as a disciple is to walk in the commands of Christ, to do what Jesus did, and even more because he's gone to the Father. And by imparting this gift, he says, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith of you and me. There's a struggle between leaders and, and, and the rest of the church when we constantly are trying to urge people to pursue the more of God, and the response is, well, maybe next week. How exciting, how comforting would it to be to see, to impart, to release what God has put in our hearts, to activate you, to see you become equipped and begin walking in your divine calling and your divine destiny. I have to give two people a shout out today. They didn't know this was happening. I didn't know it until right now. So if you're embarrassed, too bad. Um, Chris Moyer, last night at the birthday party, told me, you know what, I've been trying to walk this thing out, and I had two encounters at work where I stepped out, asked him if I could pray. And one person, if I'm correct, Chris, you prayed for, said they were feeling better at the end of your shift. That is awesome. And every week, prayer night, we've been praying something very specific. God, pour your spirit out that your gifts may be poured out in this church, not that we could become cool or flashy, but that your presence could be felt and known in this place. And last Sunday, for the very first time, Aaron Ermetz came up and gave a word of the Lord. That's answered prayer. That's the importance of our prayer night and seeking God, pressing in until the breakthrough happens. Because just because we don't see it now doesn't mean it's not coming down the road. Just because you don't see a healing the first 100 times you pray doesn't mean on 101 it's not coming down the road. God wants to do this in our lives so that we can be comforted, built up, established. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul tells Timothy, this is why I remind you, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. God gives the gift, but it's your job to fan it into flame. Fan it into flame. And when did he receive the gift? He said, when I laid my hands on you. So in just a moment, when we have the time of prayer, we're going to invite you to come. And through the ministry of laying on of hands, we're going to pray that you'd receive gifts of the Spirit, namely the gifts of healing. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment for prayer. Tony's going to lead us in a song. But Holy Spirit, I just ask you now in Jesus' name. Lord, I believe this is on your heart even in greater measure than it is on our hearts. God, I believe in my heart, in the depths of my soul, there are people here today you're ready to activate. There are gifts you're ready to pour out. There are strongholds you're ready to break down. There's healing you're ready to release. And nothing stirs your heart more than the people of God saying, Here I am, Lord, send me. You have my heart. You have my soul. 
If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you're like the dump truck driver where you've maybe attended church your whole life, but there's never been a moment where you said yes to the Lord. God, forgive me of my sins. I receive your forgiveness, your love, and your grace. If that's never been a time in your life right now, I just encourage you. God has something for you, but before you can receive the gift, you have to receive the gift giver. Right now where you are, just, just quietly, even in a whisper, you can invite Jesus into your life. Why don't you pray this with me, if that's you. Just say, Father in heaven, thank you for loving me in spite of all my failures and all my sin. I ask you today to forgive me. Today, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus in my place. Today, I proclaim with full assurance that he is my Lord and Savior now and forever. I ask you to fill me with your spirit so that I can live for you all the days of my life. In the name of Jesus, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, I trust that there's someone in here God is moving upon, that you prayed that prayer, that you did genuinely for the first time in your life. And right now, you're being filled with joy. You know how I know? I can feel it. It's all over. I can feel it. I'm not going to call you out. You don't have to come down, and we're not going to wave a sign and, and make a spectacle. But I'm praying for you right now, God, that you would touch them in Jesus' name, that all the hardness on heart would be broken off. God, that their heart would become good soil right now in Jesus' name. God, that every word proclaimed would be planted deep and take root. God, that the truth would be embedded in them. Lord, their identity as a son, as a daughter of Christ would take hold right now in Jesus' name. Like never before, all religion is broken off. All newness come now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill them right where they are. Lord, let your love for them, your unconditional, never-ending, never-giving-up love fill them right now in Jesus' name. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.